Paul on Mars Hill was, you know, he's, he was dealing with idolatry and he was provoked, which is, mm. which is good. But then he showed us how to handle it. Okay, wait a minute. I'm, you, you built that up and it's a great analogy, right? I mean, your transition is really great, but I can't help but think somebody's on the edge of their seat thinking, well, what do you do when... <laughs> And Gertrude comes over and is now showing up as George. I I, I had the same thought. (laughs) I can understand you being upset and uh, going to the Apostle Paul from there is like a little drop. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, look, let's touch on that a little bit. We we don't know what we're doing anyway. (laughs) 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 Um, I think, and this is what I was sharing with this brother, I mean, I think that we do have to draw the line somewhere and and where we do things in love. And, and here's the thing, right? We wouldn't ask that question if if our sibling was coming over with their new dog husband and we're going to treat them like they're really a couple and they're going to sit and be affectionate in inappropriate ways in front of them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Or if one of our relatives says, oh, you know, I'm coming over today with my dad, who's also my new husband, right? I mean, we would, and because you're thinking about kids too and normalizing this and so, I so don't know. Does this go across the board, whether they're a Christian, claiming to be a Christian or a non-Christian? Are you saying that you would not allow them to be inside your house, or if your kids weren't there? Depends on the age of the kids. Yeah, I'm what saying, are you saying? Yeah, I'm saying that, well, if they claim to be a Christian and they're living in sin, Scripture's clear, we're not right. to even eat with such a one, right? We're not to have a regular normal fellowship. We're still to love them and try to reach them, calling them to repentance. If it's an unbeliever... It depends on the context, right? I mean, yeah. am I going to... I think relatives and close family members, because of how that impacts, especially the next generation, I think we have to be careful. Gifts, gifts, wonderful gifts. We all love gifts. And if anyone tells you they don't love gifts, they're a big fat liar. You guys have heard people say they don't like gifts. Oh, I don't like gifts. Don't give me gifts. Don't give me gifts. Well, it's kind of like you with your Liars. birthdays. You don't like anybody to acknowledge your birthday, but is that actually true? Is it, it is true. I, I don't like people singing happy birthday oh, to me. But that. you want the gifts on Ray, your birthday. you hate it too. You I understand. hate it. I'd rather people just park the gift in the driveway yeah. and leave. <laughs> yeah, give me gifts. Say a nice, quiet, gentle happy birthday, but don't get don't around me and worship out. me as yeah. you like candles to me. He's sing. a delicate fellow. <laughs> yeah. But I love gifts and I have a gift in my hand that has forever changed my life. One of the greatest gifts I've ever received and changed my status. Look at it and weep, gentlemen. Dad Look joke at champion. It and weep. Who gave you that? Yourself? Dad joke champion. <laughs> With Bad a trophy joke inside. Champion. So you bought that yes. for yourself? No. This, you is, should, this is a gift from Janelin. Uh, my son Luke's girlfriend for Father's Day. The misspelled wow. bad. <laughs> <laughs> bad joke champion. That's good. <laughs> That's good, Mark. Oh, I love this thing. And what's more fitting than to tell dad jokes to kick this off? You don't have to. I will. Uh, what did one hat say to the other hat? Stay here. I'm going on ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that really is good. Uh, what do you call someone with no body and no nose? Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best thing about Switzerland? Let me guess. I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to be educated oh, on that one. That's so good. good. Uh, what did the baby corn say to mama corn? Where's popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it feels so good. Oscar, you know you're oh, laughing you, inside. When Don't you, pretend so like, like you just you can reread the oh, same joke over and over again. It gets you every time. They're so funny. That's true. They, they all may be. <laughs> so I am the champion. Now I selected them. They're not original. I was I just going to say. Yeah. You know, I was hanging out with my kids the other day, and they have so many new words in slang. I think only Oscar would be able to know what those sort of like oh, Elriz. Yeah. And things uh, like that. I'm yeah, like, no, what that same word. They said it to me the other El day. Elriz. Elriz. What? Or uh, W-Riz. Seriously. And I get frustrated. And Rachel goes, AZ, don't do that. We is once it, had words people didn't know. Is it colloquialism? Or she what? still has words people don't know. <laughs> that's true. I go, that's bussin'. And then they just start laughing like, oh, dad, they roll their eyes. But I mean, where do words come from? Like, who gets to decide... Yeah. Enough people have used this word. Let's put it in the dictionary, right? Yeah, Web Webster's dictionary. Well, you know who shocked me a lot is Oscar because he would he, he used to say the word rad a lot. I still say rad. Rad. That's a ninety. That was that was, that was an eighties word. Was, no, no, and I thought it was eighties. It was before eighties. It was so rad. 60s. It's coming back. You guys though. said rad. Oh, of course, it's, yeah. that's a surfing term. Yeah, it's, yeah. that's a, like tie dye is really in. It, that also is coming back. They had it in the time of Christ, tie dyes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've created a word. I want it to take off. Here we go. I don't think anybody else has used it. Here it comes. Do it. Plagiarism. Wow, that's true. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> that's a really good one, Mark. How long have your kids been rolling uh, their eyes? That sounds very strange to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's crazy. But yeah. Um, no, rad. Yeah. Rad's coming back. I've rad. held on to it since it's I was a rad. kid. And uh, it's They finally... said rad when you were a kid, too? Yeah, that was... Eddie still uses the word rad. I think he has a shirt with the word rad. Do you remember the totally movie Rad? Tubular. That's probably where I... It was the BMX movie. See, that's, that's, that's probably... Eddie. Oscar, did you guys say, like, burn in your time? Ooh, Ooh burn, burn or face. No. Remember face, Mark? Speak to the hand. Talk to the hand. The face don't want to hear it. But you remember face, Mark? Oh, yeah. Someone go, Ooh, face. Burn. Yeah. I don't got that one. Yeah, we'll teach you a few things. We have a comment. By the way, guys, the band is back together again. It's, it's been, been a while. Weeks. It's been a while. Yeah, now, friends, you may not know. We may have deceived you. You may think we record these uh, instantly every week. We you're, don't. You're letting them behind the yeah, curtain Yeah, I'm letting right them behind the curtain. They're seeing the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, we pre-record these. We can't do them all, like, on the fly. So there's times we take breaks, but we have some in the can. And uh, it's been a while. A few weeks, Oscar and I were at NRB in Florida. Nerb. This is on the fly, in the can. You like that? On it's the fly, in the can. <laughs> Sounds like the tea I had this morning. <laughs> Sounds like insect repellent. <laughs> Mark, you were in England twice? I was in England twice, within a month. He left something there. <laughs> Ray, you were in... What? You were in Cerritos, right? Oh, back I was in Cerritos. <laughs> Ceritos? I'm not moving away from home. Yeah. You've been reveling, Ray, in being home after Ken Ham told us about his Australian. I've pictures of me even my feet up watching TV <laughs> when he's stuck in an airport. Oh, yeah. Poor guy. All for mate pies. All right, friends. We have a comment. This now, is, from is that necessary comment. to go so? Very much so. One more time. Comment. <laughs> <laughs> faith has faith. In Christ. That's a cool title there for them. Life-changing. I'm 15 years old and love this podcast. Each and every one of you did something different in my life. Easy, you made me realize how important it is to have a good Christian husband. You talk about you and Rachel and the things you did. 
and it makes me want someone who will treat me as you treat Rachel. Ray, the biggest way you impacted me is with my passion to spread the gospel. I always knew I would go on a mission trip at least, but you brought that to a higher level. Mm. You're my role model. Mark, you remind me of my dad and my grandpa and my great, 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 great <laughs> grandpa. You're adding a few greats. I'm adding. Yeah. And I never met them. They all walked out. <laughs> my dad and my grandpa, both very passionate and wise. Oh. You have taught me so much, and I find myself throughout the day uh, quoting you. Let's just leave it right there. The last one is, <laughs> yeah. Thanks last for nothing. Is, Hello, Oscar. <laughs> hey, hey, Oscar. Oscar, I detest everything about you. <laughs> Oscar, I love your humor. The biggest thing I think you've helped me with is a realization that prayer impacts. God listens. You told the story of your grandma and how she would always pray for you, yeah. and here you are now. I've been praying for many people ever since. Thank you all so much for everything you taught me. Wow. Listen, what a great one. Yeah. You're going to cry? Oh. <laughs> just end it there. <laughs> Thanks for listening me, to this man. episode. <laughs> Thank you so much. Faith has faith in Christ. That's awesome. That was really a blessing. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. All right, friends. This podcast is brought to you by the Starter Kit. Man, the Starter Kit's been doing well, right? Yeah, I, I love I this. You. If you've ever broken down on the side of the road... The starter kit <laughs> is for you. Uh, yeah, no, it's for you. Miracles. If you're broken down, you need the starter kit. Put mm. those zzz on. Answers and Genesis well. just ordered a hundred of them, which was encouraging. So yeah. we were busy yesterday. Yeah, they. But we even recently we were emailing about just different resources and how they're doing, and this one is just really doing well. It took off. This was your idea, kit. Ray. Yeah. One of your few very good ideas. (laughs) Finally. Uh, No, it is doing really well. And friends, this contains million-dollar bills, Ten Commandment coins, comic uh, Are You a Good Person, the small version, and 101 of the world's funniest one-liners. 350 tracks total. It'll get you started. Yeah, if you don't... Listen, if you've been listening to the podcast and you feel encouraged to start proclaiming the gospel and you don't know where to start... This is literally the best place to start. Often you might have like choice anxiety going to our website and seeing so many tracks available. Uh, you might be wondering which one is the right one for you. Honestly, we don't know which one's the right one for you. Whatever one you find most comfortable and the one you enjoy handing out most, it's different for everybody. But a great place to start is the starter kit because it's some of our more popular ones. Once you start there, you'll discover which one's right for you and you'll, you'll start uh, handing out tracks. Yeah. But wait. There's more. There's more. <laughs> yeah, friends. And if you haven't, uh, and really, if you're not that familiar with our tracks, one you may want to even get before that or along with it is uh, the track sample pack. That one has a sample of all the tracks we carry, and uh, you love that. And don't forget the Living Waters mugs, guys. Sold out of the mugs. It's crazy. And uh, we've got we've got more that uh, that we've we've got. So make sure to get those friends. And don't forget the Evidence Study Bibles at livingwaters.com. And all of these, by the way, come with free black tape for your fingers. <laughs> Oscar, what in the I, world? Uh, Wednesday night, I tore a ligament between these two fingers here. Basketball. For those uh, listening, when you say these Let me two. guess, playing basketball. Playing basketball. Dude, you're it's destroying true. your life with basketball. Your foot, what, two now fingers, your finger. So here's what happens. If okay, So yeah, for those who can't see, my ring finger is currently taped to my middle finger <laughs> because if I go like this with this hand, this one just flops up and down. Oh, this huh. doesn't mean anything. And you're going to gonna keep listening. playing basketball, right? Yeah, I played last night. <laughs> Don't you still have a broken foot? You're a glass I still have a broken foot, yeah. And still that's play. taped to his other yeah. foot. <laughs> He's going to walk in here one day. My head fell off, but I got to go play basketball. <laughs> yeah, I played yesterday. Was yeah.
We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and the podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. All right, friends, there you have it. Man, lots of good stuff. But today we are talking about Paul, or as we say in Arabic, bulos. Bulos? Bulos. That or, sounds like I think, a I think, dessert. Uh, in Spanish, it's bulos. But in Arabic, bulos. Paul on Mars Hill had to tactfully reach a pagan. I want to know who world. Ma was and why did she have a hill? <laughs> Where's Mars Hill? See, Ray, that's the problem, Ray. Because you guys blend in ours with a lot of your words, you think that that's how we would say it here. Of course, that's how you're supposed to say it. Not Mars. 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 And every time I try to remember the words you guys blend ours with, I can't remember them. Mars. But I try to catch Rachel whenever she does it. Park the car in the dark, Mark. No, not that one. Park the car. Why can't you say it normally? Say park. Park. (laughs) (laughs) Park. Impossible. All right, guys, Paul on Mars Hill. Was Paul in Mars? Did your voice crack right there? Or yes, was that? it was. I just want to know when, when Ray talks about lions roaring, do they actually not roar? 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 In the boat, roaring. In the last Roar. day, she'll come mock us. <laughs> <laughs> so, We're guys, here. Paul on Mars Hill, you know, this is probably one of the sermons that uh, you've quoted most, right? At least part of it. Love it. God now commands all men everywhere. To to repaint. (laughs) (laughs) Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. But this is really a phenomenal passage of scripture because it gives us a glimpse. So there are passages that aren't phenomenal? Yes. Um, Yes, in the Quran, in the Book of Mormon. But it gives us a glimpse into fly-on-the-wall experiences of one of the greatest men that ever walked the earth preaching. Thank you. <laughs> Not Asgard. Isn't it a bee um, on the wall? It's always a fly. Yeah, why is it a fly, right? Fly the by filthiest night. creature yeah. you can imagine. <laughs> well, have you ever, Just to I, be a gnat in your food. Yeah. Yeah, so so Paul and Mars Hill, I mean, this is, this is such a great example uh, for us who are living in like hyper-paganized times. Mm-hmm to really get a grasp on, hey, how do we relate to the culture? My biggest struggle, honestly, is, I, I don't know, it's anger, it's lack of compassion. We've talked about that a lot, you know, a lot, but... Towards but, your hosts. <laughs> always. But, you know, when we're seeing such rampant sin and debauchery and uh, blasphemy toward the Lord, and especially when it gets into things like, you know, what we've been seeing lately, reassignment surgery, you know, as kids are being mutilated... It really does just, it, it, I, I do wrestle sometimes, like, Lord, how do we deal with that? I was talking with a brother this morning, and we were talking about well, how do you deal with family members that are, you know, beginning to, to go in the direction of homosexuality or transgenderism? How do you relate to that? Where do you draw the line? Like, do you just hang out with them like it's normal? Do you let your, uh, you know, your sister, uh, who's been your kid's aunt, 
since they were little and now they're five, six, seven, do you let her come over? And her, her name is George now and she's got a beard. And like, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you handle these things? And we're getting more and more desensitized. Have I met her? <laughs> George, I'll bring her over, um, him over. In the midst of trying to figure out what to do, I also find myself getting unrighteously angry and agitated in a way that, that I shouldn't because I lose focus of the lost and where they're at and what's going on, you know? And so Paul and Mars Hill was, you know, he's, he was dealing with idolatry and he was provoked, which is, mm. which is good. But then he showed us how to handle it. Okay, wait a minute. I'm, you, you built that up and it's a great analogy, right? I mean, your transition is really great, but I can't help but think somebody's on the edge of their seat thinking, well, what do you do when... <laughs> Aunt Gertrude comes over and is now showing up George. I I, I had the same thought. (laughs) I can understand you being upset and uh, going to the Apostle Paul from there is like a little drop. Yeah. Well, okay, look, let's touch on that a little bit. We we don't know what we're doing anyway. (laughs) 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 Um, I think, and this is what I was sharing with this brother. I mean, I think that we do have to draw the line somewhere. And, and where we do things in love. And, and here's the thing, right? We wouldn't ask that question if, if our sibling was coming over with their new dog husband and we're gonna treat them like they're really a couple and they're gonna sit and be affectionate in inappropriate ways in front of them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Or, or if one of our relatives says, oh, you know, I'm coming over today with my dad, who's also my new husband. Because you're thinking about kids too and normalizing this. And so, I so don't know. Does this go across the board, whether they're a Christian, claiming to be a Christian or a non-Christian? Are you saying that you would not allow them to be inside your house? Or if your kids weren't there, depends on the age of the kids? Yeah, I'm, what saying, are you saying? Yeah, I'm saying that, well, if they claim to be a Christian and they're living in sin, Scripture's clear, we're not right. to even eat with such a one, right? We're not to have a regular normal fellowship. We're still to love them and try to reach them, calling them to repentance. If it's an unbeliever... It depends on the context, right? I mean, yeah. am I gonna, I, I think relatives and close family members, because of how that impacts, especially the next generation, I think we have to be careful. Depends on the age of the kids, right? Yeah, I, I don't know how much I would allow it to be normalized. Like, yeah, come over and let's just act like this is normal and fine. Mm-hmm. One of my kids, God forbid, hey dad, I'm a, a girl now, one of my right. sons, call me Linda and say she and... I can't do it. Right. I won't do it, you mm-hmm. know? And and this is the problem. Like, I think we've been so desensitized that immediately people are like, oh, well, that's not really nice. That's not loving. And man, I think the nicest and most loving thing I can do is be be real and not not go along with their fantasy that yeah. is destructive. So if they come around and you've got know. kids at home, take them out for a meal and witness to them yeah. over the meal and make it a long meal. Yeah, and, and look, I'm not against, we, we got to educate our kids. Society around us, of course, is changing. They need to learn how to interact in that, in, in that realm. But there is an age at which, you know, I think it's both an age and a principle too. Like there is a principle about not giving them the sense like this is, you approve of it and this is all fine. You're going to go up, go on like it's normal, you know? We're going on a tangent, right? I mean, we, yeah, I think we def- definitely, we need to address this on a future podcast yeah. because I think this is the culture, this is the day and age, this is our society, and it is being rammed down our throats, Yeah. right? So we are seeing secularists leave secular school systems because of this issue. Yeah. True. Not just Christians, not even those yeah. who are religious in any way, shape, or form, but it is very prevalent in today's culture. We have to address it on a future podcast. Let yeah. me bring it back to Paul, because I think what where you started was really good, which is we tend to live in the tyranny of the immediate. 
Mm. The tyranny of the immediate is is by looking around at, at the news cycles, at the reels of the very real things that are happening now. And we we think like, man, we, we live in unprecedented times. You know, you use the, the phrase hyper-paganistic and we think like the, we've never seen this before. The, the world has never been in, and it could just feel like the tyranny of the immediate. Like, oh man, this is the worst it's ever been. Mm. But as we look at the scriptures and as we understand church history, what we find is that the birth of Christianity was born into a pagan culture that makes our pagan culture look minor, yeah. minute, look mild, right? You had Nero, the Caesar, essentially, he was married to a woman, but he also had a openly real, uh, a male sexual partner. That's like the president of the United States being in a polygamous relationship with both male and female. While we could argue that that might one day happen, that wasn't a conspiracy theory. That wasn't under the radar. It wasn't like big news. It was simply a part of his right as a Roman male citizen to have a male sexual partner. Mm -hmm. And so the point I'm making here is that we can actually find hope that the early church thrived in an anti-Christian culture, far more anti-Christian to us. And Acts 17 puts on display how Paul presents the gospel in slightly different ways when he goes to people in the church and he goes to people outside the church. And that's one of the reasons why I love Acts 17, because in the same chapter, we've got Paul arguing from the scriptures when he's talking to the Jew. But then we see him in the Greco-Roman world, and it doesn't say he's arguing from the scriptures. Instead, he chooses to quote their own poets mm. to point them towards truth. So the gospel never changes, without a doubt, but the way in which we proclaim the gospel can shift a little bit based off of our audience, and that's what Paul displays here in Acts 17. You count the cloth to fit. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and, and Ray, I'd love you to, to chime in on this point. We're talking about what is grotesque sin, obviously, a Romans 1 type depravity. But in light of what Paul's doing here on Mars Hill, and we'll get into the text, but he's he's addressing idolatry. We can't downplay the severity of idolatry in the sight mm -hmm. of a holy God. Idolatry is the root cause of all sin when it comes down to it. And I've often said people like Richard Dawkins are idolaters by nature. They're not atheists. He's got a wrong concept of what God is like. He's gone through the Old Testament and created a God that's ghastly, horrific, mm. taken at all the judgments and wrath of God and says, well, that's what your God's like. I don't want anything to do with him. And he's thrown out the God of his own creation. But the God of the Bible is balanced in nature. He's just and holy in love and mercy. So when anyone gives themselves to sin, it's obvious they don't fear God because they don't fear God because they've got their own concept. Mm. Psalm 50, I think it is, says, you thought that I was altogether such and one <laughs> as yourself. Wow. <laughs> and so people really do think God is wearing a pink nightie. He's got long hair, sitting on a cloud, <laughs> playing touch fingers with Adam. <laughs> I see what you did there. Hmm. But it's not. What an image. <laughs> pink nightie. You look at it, it's pink. It's Michelangelo. Oh, is just it pink? Had a, he had a propensity for a pink nighty. I love that description, Ray. Well, just to go on what Ray just said too, by the way, Calvin has this quote where he says that Col Coolidge? Where he says, you know, that the reason why the first two of the Ten Commandments 
addresses idolatry is because it is the root of all sin. If we didn't have idolatry, the rest of the commandments wouldn't be necessary. Mm. Wow, that's true. Yeah, and Mark, often we're deceived into thinking idolatry is merely the bowing down before a sculpted image, but it takes all kinds of forms with whatever we put before God. Yeah, well, it definitely starts inside the mind, right? We sow that thought, it reaps an action. So it is in the place of imagery inside of our mind where we, listen, if you're not meditating through God's word, you're gonna believe lies are true. So this is why it is so important to meditate day and night through God's word, because it is not difficult to stray from the truth of God's word. Remember, we are sanctified by his truth. His word is truth. We must always go there. You know, as we're talking about Mars Hill here, it's important to know that Mars Hill was a place where you would have uh, different people come together and they would discuss philosophy and religion. I was reading an interesting thing about this earlier that Mars Hill was the Roman name for a hill in Athens, Greece, called the Hill of Ares. I've been on it. Ares was the Greek god of war, according to Greek mythology. And this hill was the place where Ares stood trial before the other gods for the murder of Poseidon's son. In other words, here's the Apostle Paul going up to wage war against the culture and the society and the philosophy and vain religion of the day. And that is exactly what happens when we go open air preaching, when we go to contend for the faith in an open square, we are waging war, recognizing that there is a spiritual battle at play. Yeah. So we cannot take it as a light thing. Well, I'm just going to kind of proclaim the gospel. No, get ready. You need to gird yourself because this spiritual battle is way stronger than any physical battle will ever come across. Amen. I was also in my research, Mark, reading that the Areopagus, which we call Mars Hill, was really kind of the supreme court Mm -hmm. of that day. And that's where people would come together for civil, criminal, religious matters even. And so Paul was was using that as a springboard. I mean, that's what we used to do. You guys remember back in the day with the courthouse, (laughs) people standing in line waiting to go into court, and we would tie that in. And that's what what Paul was doing. And people would gather there, they talk about religious things, philosophy, the the issues of the day. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you couldn't have set up a better scenario or a better location for an open air preacher than this. I mean, we're always dreaming about places. Where can we go? You know, this was like, this is kind of like, almost like the square, but on steroids, dad, back in the day in Yeah, but you think of Paul's courage, he's gone alone. Yeah. He hasn't gone with a bunch of guys to encourage him, to pray for him, he's there alone, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, As far as we know, for sure. Yeah. So let let me read the text. It's, It's Acts 17, 16 to 32, and then we'll jump in on different sections of it. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So that, that's a first note there, right? It's okay to be provoked, and we should be. Anything that grieves God's heart should grieve ours. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Now, Ray, that, that should be the heart of every Christian, shouldn't it? That longing to want to see people brought out of darkness and light, so we reason with them. Absolutely. I love the word reason. Paul reasoned with Felix, and Felix trembled. Hmm. Because, yeah. because judgment becomes reasonable when you open up that law. And that's what Paul did when he met the Jews. To the Jew, he became a Jew. To others, he, uh, he opened up the law, as, he, as we see in, in this sermon. Uh, and when the law does its work, it really makes people tremble. It gives them their own personal earthquake, like the Philippian jailer, hmm. because suddenly it makes sense. Yeah. Like, a, like an echo goes in the mind, oh, 
know this could be true. <laughs> Amen. All right. So it goes on to say, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? <laughs> Don't you love that? As a Tara Babel. <laughs> but it's funny though, like that's kind of how we appear to the world. You know, once you come to Christ and your eyes are open, you really do see your folly from the past. But to the world, we sound like we're just a bunch of idiots. Yeah, well, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, let me point out something here in Acts 17, 26, where we see the apostle <laughs> Paul. He says, um, for one man, he made every nation of men and that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. What Paul is doing here is something that I think we need to do more within our gospel proclamation. And that is who are we talking about? And that is, he is starting with the God of the Bible. Yeah. Mm. He can go very deep concerning the character and the attributes uh, of God. And right here, he just, he eliminates all gods, all idolaters, all anybody and everybody that is going to think that they have a right handle on who God is by just saying, the God of the heavens and the earth. Yeah. The creator of the heavens and the earth. This is the one that I proclaim to you. And I think that we would do... Did you want to a, say that again, Oscar? Dropped sorry, his phone. I'm, I'm <laughs> pulling up, I was pulling up my digital Bible and I dropped my phone. Yeah, I, I just think that we would do a, a better job, if you would, that uh, if we go off on the character of God when we start going through the gospel message itself, because it eliminates all other gods. See, the common argument against Christianity by many atheists is that there's so many gods but there's only one creator, yeah. and that eliminates all the other man-made gods. There's one creator. He's the one that spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. Mm. Amen. Let me point out, too, that Paul recognizes that these pagan people are religious. And that's really important because we are all ultimately religious, as we were talking about before, that we all have, the, the whole world is full of false idolatry. And yeah. so to, to say true that- idol True idolatry. True idolatry. <laughs> for the culture to come back and say, we're not religious, one of the things that's really valuable for us is, is to help them recognize how we are all worshiping something. We are all created to worship. In other words, the question isn't whether or not you are worshiping. The question is always, what are you worshiping? And Paul understood that. He went into a pagan culture and pointed out the false idolatry that's in there. And it's the same thing. The secularist, the atheist, the regular old guy who's hustling and bustling with his career everybody is worshiping something. And in order for them to come to the belief and knowledge that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, they have to put to death those false idols, repent from them and turn to the one true God, which yeah. is our, our Lord and Savior. Because we were created to worship, I think when we put it to people like that, Oscar, that everyone worships everything, I think there's something in their heart that bears witness with that. Yeah. They recognize, oh, wow, that kind of is what I'm doing, yeah. you know? And I think the Lord can use that to open their eyes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you cannot serve God and mammon. When you look at what money does, money takes precedent over God, becomes the supplier of our needs, becomes our supplier of peace and joy in believing that money can protect me and take care of me in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens. We, we turn from God being the source of supply for our every need and we begin to look to other things and they, they do become our gods. But again, people will at the same time deny that because they have a misconception of what worship is. Right. Again, they envision yeah. it as bowing down and you know doing some kind of religious practice, but no, it's the devotion of your heart and your yep. life and your time and your energy to something 
before God. Yeah, th- this is how Augustine talked about it. He talked about sin as disordered loves. In other words, Augustine said that we, we're all lovers at heart and our issue in the world is that we love the wrong things in the wrong way at the wrong time. And so you think about, you know, actually I have a friend who's incredibly successful in business, but he got so enamored with his success that he ultimately created an altar which we would call business and sacrificed his wife and children on that altar. And now he's dealing with divorce and he's dealing with the repercussions of his kids going through, you know, this destruction in their family and all because he pursued success in a way that it became his God or to put in Augustine's way, he loved money. He loved his reputation so much that he devalued the love of his family. And so what Augustine argues is that in what we talk about false idolatry is ultimately a rearranging of our loves. And the first priority is the love of God. And then everything, once that becomes your primary love, everything else begins to be rearranged in the right orderly fashion. Shakespeare said, flee ambition for by such sin fell the angels. That's good. That's good. Wow. You know, Tozer, he said, Christians don't tell lies. Mm. They just go to church and sing them. (laughs) (laughs) I got to put that in my notes, man. Yeah. Wow, Oscar, great quotes. Augustine was brilliant. Um, and then it went on to say here, <laughs> I others thought we said, got over it. <laughs> oh, no. no. I thought when you said, I thought oh, we, no. we just passed no, never, never. We just passed it. Never. It's going to be the death of you, Izzy. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. What does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. Oh, to have sinners bring us and tell us, tell so me. So we can stone you to death. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the right. trap. But guys, seriously though, we've had those very, very rare moments where people have that's said true. And that's time. what happened in England. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Mark, tell, tell us can you that. just tell us that? Because this is this ties in all this. Well, listen, to my embarrassment, to my shame, I, I I took him to the end, as I normally do, when going through the gospel, and there were people, person after person, just saying, all right, so what do I do exactly to become a Christian? Now, this was on your second trip. We talked a little bit before on your first, so you went again. And you were there yeah. with doing an academy for Living right. Waters. We Europe. have our ambassador's academy that, yeah. uh, with John Harris. Yeah. And so I was talking to different people, and I remember this one lady specifically, she was saying, so what, what do I got to do? And I said, well, you need to cry out to God. I mean, cry? Cry out to God? What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. I go, well, you, you need to be willing to, tr- you need to turn from your sins and you need to place your trust in Christ. Well, okay, but what does that look like? What do I, what do you mean by that? Well, you gotta be born again, born again. All right, so, <laughs> and it didn't matter what angle I took. She was just, she was eating it up. And at the same time, I was at a loss for words. Mm, wow. I, I, I was not ready for that, for her to continually drill me. And she wasn't, she didn't mean anything by that, right, Oscar? She was, she was simply saying, all right, I have two little kids here with me, mm. and I want to lead them. What does it mean to be born again? Mm. Lay it out very simply, very clearly. Wow. And it didn't matter what angle I took. I was just like at a loss. I could listen. <laughs> all right. Hey, 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 listen. Go get alone with the Lord. Well, will you watch the kids? Oh, okay, listen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it was, it, like the it, way it was beautiful. She was a natural English citizen? 
Because they're normally uh, very conservative. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I didn't ask her. She yeah. sounded... Does she speak English? She, she sounded like your wife. Oh, okay. Very English. Very Was she from Barnsley? Barnsley. Yes. <laughs> Barnsley. A northern district, I. Wow, Mark. That's, so, that's just so awesome. I love yeah. that. And, you know, we did the 13 countries in 13 days way back when. And, you know, there's a lot of complacency in Europe. A lot of kind of... Ah, whatever. So so, it's just, I had to think of what Mark was saying when the Philippian jailer called out, what must do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus. Did he say, what do you mean believe? What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to look out for prisoners? (laughs) Yeah. But but anyway, that's that's just great. So what were you saying when I interrupted really easy? Uh, You've forgotten? I don't remember. It's gone. No, just saying there was so much complacency there. And so it's so refreshing to see someone, you know, especially when, when you know they're engaged. Like give me someone, even if they're not, necessarily positive give me someone antagonistic any day over someone who's just like ah you know whatever. you know what i found working more than one-on-ones was open air preaching yeah open air preaching with people on the outside on the outskirts watching and listening to preacher after preacher after preacher so we're talking about your gospel and yeah they're specifically in london and central london and then yeah. up near lincoln where we had our academy where they have our academy every year mm, awesome. um, love it people listening and people not wanting to really engage until afterwards where people would go up and, and talk to yeah. them but they were listening to the gospel well, that's great. just real quick because you mentioned the academy multiple times and we have the ambassadors academy here easy do you want to explain to our listeners what the academy is yeah the academy has been going on for a long time it's number 27 is it yeah it's so many we've done over the years and basically people come from all over the country some from different parts of the world we limit it to it used to be 50 we opened it to 100 and so we have very intensive focused training where we're in the classroom for a few days teaching practical elements of sharing the gospel and then we go out on the streets and we actually do it we have team leaders people broken up into teams it's one of the highlights of our ministry i mean this is how eddie roman our producer came to be a part of living waters he was stirred about evangelism looked it up learned about the academy came experienced it and then became a passionate evangelist, now part of the ministry. So yeah, uh, look on our website. We announce whenever those are happening. So in fact, we have one in town now. So we're excited. May we know what this doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. <laughs> and we think, what a pack of idiots sitting around waiting for a new thing. And we have a news media that just inundates <laughs> us through television, through social media. We're news hounds. Yeah. And I'm the same. I want to find out what's new. What's news? What's news? What's happening? Yeah. And we just, if it's new, we want to hear it. If it's like an hour old, it's gone. Forget it. Well, and, and, and this should stir us to say, let's fill that Let's fill that void, right? I mean, people want that. Let's bring in the good news of the gospel. It's new. News. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's important to recognize that these are the cultural elites of the Roman, the Greco-Roman world. Yeah. Uh, and it might sound weird where it's like, well, how could the cultural elites be sitting around doing nothing? Up until they that point. They had their phones. They had their phones with them. That's right. <laughs> no, up until that point, your elevation of status was all about how much time you had to philosophize. Mm. So in our cultural precedents, you are considered more value the busier that you are. You know, if you're an attorney or whatever the case and you're running a business, the busier you are, the more it seems like you are of value and worth. But in the Greco-Roman world, the cultural elites got to a place where they're hired servants to take care of all of the busy work and they got to sit around and philosophize and plan, you know, legal proceedings and matters and things of that nature. So 
Paul is talking to the cultural elites in Athens yeah. at this point. Yeah, the, the intellectuals. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So let's just pause there real quick. When we, especially as evangelicals, hear the word religious, it kind of makes us bristle a little bit, right? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but this was a compliment. Mm. I mean, Paul was complimenting them. He wasn't like, you guys are religious, just for anyone listening who's, who has that lodged in their minds. He starts off with this tact. Uh, he's not, he was provoked. Obviously, he was grieved by the idolatry, but he didn't get up, you stupid pagans, right. you know, and start rallying on them. Ray, how important is it to be congenial and civil and tactful when we preach the gospel. So we, we know that there are some who do the shock and awe method where they get up and just blast people like crazy. If you want to be heard and you want people to receive your message, you've got to do what the scriptures say and not strive, but be gentle to all men in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Mm. And so it's essential to watch your tone especially with your opening words, yeah, you know, to show respect. And often, I remember I stood up on Waikiki. This is uh, 1986. A group, of, <laughs> a group of American people wanted me to teach them how to evangelize, and we went straight to Waikiki, and I had to preach hmm. to the bathers on the beach as they sat there. And I thought, like, how am I going to start this? <laughs> and so I just said, you know, it just seems like a wonderful dream to be lying on the beach at Waikiki, and what a nightmare for some preacher to stand up and preach to you. But <laughs> please bear with me. I'll be really quick. I've got something super important to share with you. Wow. And I remember a police officer came up to me, and he said, eight people have complained. I thought I'd better come across and say something. <laughs> so he waited for eight people to complain before he said anything. So I had about, about 10 minutes of just going through the gospel and thanking them for listening and just go back to your dream. The nightmare's over. Is that the one with the picture of you standing on the trash can? It's around that same time, yes, yeah, standing okay. on the trash can. Yeah, and it says trash yes, on it. Yes, standing it. on top. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember when a police officer came up to me when I was standing on that trash bin. He said, you cannot stand on the trash bin. I was going to say, could I stand in it? But I, did it. I didn't. I said, yeah, I'm off. Uh, let me point out also what Paul's doing here, which he's finding common ground. A part of being reasonable and winsome with the gospel is to find common ground. And what we know about common ground is that people tend to be more willing to change their minds on things they don't agree with you on if you first find common ground with them on things you do agree upon. Mm. Right. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's he's finding a common ground with them. Yeah. He's beginning to sort of woo them with reason over mm. to the one true God by starting with recognizing something that they're doing. Yeah. This is going to sound a little well, dumb, but I do that with dogs all the time. <sighs> I take my dog and his immediate common oh, ground yeah. with people. Immediate common ground. I thought you were saying yeah. you reason with your dogs and find No, I Preaching the gospel with every creature. No, I've just got my dog there and people come up and I say, do you have a dog? What sort is it? You know, mm. da, da, da. Yeah, and and I've good. got immediate common ground. Man, it's one, it, you know what? It, it's not hard to be a nice person. Then why don't you well, do it? it? Yeah, goodness <laughs> I mean, me. No, I'm serious. Like, I, especially now, we've talked about it before, how, how customer service has just gone down the, the drain since COVID, yeah. you know? And just people are so not nice. And it, it doesn't take a lot of work, just a smile, a friendly yeah. you know, compliment. And we, we need to learn from that with unbelievers. Rami, mean, you've talked about it before. There, there've been times when you've walked up to someone and tried to give them a track. I think it happened with Arnold. Yeah. And you, you, you ended ah, up learning 
just to greet someone first. Yeah, well, I was starstruck that day. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing you weren't struck by well, a star. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I couldn't have said to him, I love your movies, because I'd never seen one. You know? <laughs> Had you never seen an Arnold no, Schwarzenegger I've movie? seen little things with him walking, I'll be back, and all this sort of stuff, but I've never seen a whole movie, because they're pretty nasty. Yeah. So I, 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 I probably would have said, uh, hi, Arnold, uh, like your wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ex-wife now. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, uh, can we give an example of common ground? I don't know if I've shared this story before, but this one time I was walking out of a store and there was like a group of, of uh, young ladies there and they were in Greenpeace type shirts. I think it was like Save the Green Dolphins. Peas? Greenpeace? I knew yeah. you couldn't let that go. I can't say it. Easy, why do you read me so well? I knew it. It's I'm like, here he goes. I, should have just... I actually love this story from Oscar, okay? <laughs> so there, So she, she's like, hey, can I tell you about dolphins or something like that? And honestly, in that moment, I didn't want to care about dolphins. Like, I don't, I don't care about dolphins. You know what I mean? No offense to the dolphin lovers that are out there. And uh, I say to her... um, chicken. (laughs) 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 Terrible. Uh, But, you know, I was convicted because here's this moment to proclaim the gospel. And so I say to her, yeah, you know, you tell me about dolphins as long as afterwards I can tell you about Jesus. And she kind of like, okay. So she goes on this, you know, 10 minute conversation about dolphins that are being slaughtered. And it was compelling. You know, she, she wanted me to sign something and I don't know much about the law, but I knew that what she was coming from was maybe more of a liberal position. And so while I sympathized with her concern over dolphins, I wasn't really ready to sign the document. But when she was done, I didn't get into some like big argument about liberalism and conservatism and politics. Instead, I was like, hey, you know, in a way you're doing the Lord's work. And she was like, huh? I said, well, in the scriptures, God calls us to steward the land well, to care for his creation. And if there's this thing happening to dolphins that is atrocious to God's beautiful created order, then you advocating for that to stop is in a way doing the Lord's work. Mm. And I began to use that as sort of a common ground launching pad into how all the work we do is leading up to Jesus coming back and reconciling the world to himself, making all the wrong things right. And and ultimately I ended with telling her like the only world that you'll ever live in where all of these wrong things are made right is heaven. And then we got into the gospel from there is basically, you know, where are you going to go when you die? And so the point is, there's ways in which we can find common ground in these conversations with people that draw them into the promises mm, of the gospel. That's good. I love that, Oscar. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to, again, show tact. So let, let me, we're almost out of time, but let me just give us that example through what Paul did. So he said, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. I mean, these guys were so idolatrous. In case we missed one, <laughs> let's just make sure we cover our bases. What's baseball have to do with this? Therefore, the one who... <laughs> that was the, a curveball. Yeah, no, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything 
everything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Wow, what an excellent example yeah. of how to engage the lost. Paul could have blasted them. He could have railed on them. He could have, but he related. And Ray, you always talk about how he even quoted pagan poets. Yeah, and they were probably, they were idolaters. They were probably adulterers and fornicators and blasphemers. Why did he do it? it was to build a bridge to his hearers. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. all. And we, when we went to London, we did that with uh, Coronation right. and it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he also showed no compromise. Right. And I think that's where the modern day preachers fall short, Mark. Don't you think they'll get up and they'll, they'll speak, they'll relate, they'll springboard, but they'll never get to pointing out sin and hitting them with the gospel. Nor will they connect with the people in a conversational way. And I think that is very important that when you speak, when you ask a question, give them a chance to answer the question, and then give them a chance to bring a question themselves. You let people see that you're normal yeah. in a conversation and... I think you'll have a better conversation. But isn't it, yeah, right. Isn't it good when someone asks a question because it gives you a springboard to go in different directions? Yeah. Bring out the truth to them. Yeah. yeah. No, but Mark, I like that. That can't be overlooked or undervalued. Making that relational connection of showing them that you're a normal person, you're not some... Because I've seen videos of open-air preachers and it's maddening. Mm. You know, it's not like someone will try to talk to them. And they'll just like, and they'll what they, go. What are they saying? <laughs> oh, remember that guy, Ray? <laughs> Santa Monica Friday night. Santa Monica. Drive me crazy. Anyway, I digress. But yeah, and, and look, this, what I love is Paul is practicing what he preaches in the word, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Philippians, you know, in, in 2 Timothy, he talks about the importance of the Lord's bondservant, 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. That's what he did. He showed humility. He showed gentleness. He showed tact. Colossians 4, 5 through 6, make the most of your time with outsiders. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to respond to each one. You know, those, those things are so important. And friends, this applies. We're living in pagan days. Oscar pointed it out well. We are living in times that are wicked, just like in biblical days. And they had really heinous and extreme things going on. We need to be provoked and we need to be angry, but not sin in our anger. We need to remember we were once lost, we were once blind, we were once dead, and the Lord redeemed us and transformed us. Amen. Amen? Amen. All right, friends, don't forget the starter kit at livingwaters.com. Don't forget the mugs. Don't forget the Evidence Bible. Thank you for joining us. Hey, guess what? We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast, where we have no idea. Do you say idea, Ray? No. What we're doing. 
Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.